Hello, this is the Field Goals Podcast. I am Dana O'Gorman. So it wasn't a great result yesterday in Seattle. Obviously, the Seahawks lost in overtime to the Raiders, but it made me think a little bit about the future. The fans' expectations were sky high after the Seahawks beat the Cardinals and, and the whole thought process had changed. But maybe that was a little quick to do. But that made me start to think back a little bit. I wanted to bring back my friend, Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook. He's my favorite, favorite guest that I get on here because he and I had a conversation about six weeks ago and what he saw in the draft and who he thought would, would, would pick, pick, do well with Seattle in their pick. But I argued with him. <laughs> Emery, I want to bring you back on before I admit this. Thank you so much for joining me, everyone. This is Emery Hunt. No, not a problem. Always a pleasure to talk ball with you, Dana. I love it. Um, so in that conversation that we had six weeks ago, you brought up to me, you're like, we were talking about all the quarterbacks and their skill sets and would they fit well in Seattle? And then you said, just kind of off the cuff, but Dana, what if Seattle didn't draft a quarterback? And I'm going to admit, I, I, I laughed. I, I scoffed at the idea. I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course, they're going to pick a quarterback. You know, you can't have Geno Smith as your quarterback. Here we are, Emory, six months later. <laughs> Geno Smith is the quarterback. Oh, my gosh. I was so wrong. How did you see that so early? It, I've been following Geno's career for, for quite some time, well, obviously since he got into the league and you know how I do the stuff with the draft and everything, but really got to, to see him up close when he was out here with the Giants that one season. And you saw like what you're seeing now, but it, obviously at that time, Eli was a guy and, you know, you know, they they weren't going to put him out there as a starter. Eli had to play terrible, and it worked out that way that he was. Then he got the start, but the media backlash from the Giants beat writers um, kind of forced the the plan to go awry because McAdoo wanted to go to Geno and allow Geno to be a bridge guy to whoever they were going to draft. They wanted to go with Pat Mahomes, to be honest. Um, but because the backlash was so bad, they went ahead and put Eli back in, and that threw off the plan. They got rid of McAdoo, and Geno went on to to uh, to the Chargers. But knowing how he was playing out there that spring and that summer, it was like, yo, he still looks like the guy from West Virginia. And knowing that he didn't get the true opportunity with the great set of weapons they put around Ryan Fitzpatrick that year, uh, his last season with the Jets, Knowing that he had good receivers here with Seattle and knowing how the players talk about Geno and how they really rock with Geno, I didn't I didn't think it would be a, a bad transition going from Russell Wilson to a Geno Smith, someone that has been in the, the organization, has reported the receivers, and we're seeing it manifest itself out there on the field. So and and this is a guy that honestly waited his turn and wanted to play. There's a difference with someone that is thrust into a starting role coming off of an injury or as your backup. Let's say the difference between a Trevor Simeon and a Mike White. You know, those the difference in how you want to get out there and show what you can do. That's a Geno Smith, albeit at 32, 33 years old, whatever his age is. But that's how I saw it uh, happening for him. And I'm glad he's having this, you know, renaissance of his career. Yeah, it has been impressive because I was one that was not thrilled with the idea. I, I wasn't thrilled with either quarterback, to be honest with you. I mean, like Drew Locke, meh, Geno Smith, meh. Like I really was not very excited about this season at all. 
But Gino has really kind of proven us all wrong. Well, except for you. You saw it from the beginning. But if you look back his stats over the season, he has 19 touchdowns, 2,800 yards, five interceptions. His rating has been fantastic the whole time he has been playing. Um, He looks consistent. He looks focused. He makes a throw every once in a while that we're like, what did you do? But every quarterback does, right? Like it's not uncommon. And especially when I think he feels like the game is on his shoulders, you can really see it, you know, when he feels like I, in my opinion, anyway, when you feel, he feels that maybe the defense is not holding up their end of the bargain, which has been a lot this season. But what I really want to know from you about Gino is, is this sustainable? Do if Seattle were to not get a quarterback, let's say with this high, the high couple of first round picks that they have, and we're going to talk about where they should go if they don't go with, with um, a quarterback here in just a little bit. But what is this sustainable? Is this something you give a three-year contract to? Do you just do another year? Do you tag him? I've been hearing that a lot too, because we haven't been able to see any long-term success from Gino just simply because of his situational issues. I think more than anything, the teams he's gone to and that sort of thing. But do you, in your opinion, do you think this is sustainable? And if you do, what kind of contract is he looking at? Well, I think it is sustainable. And I feel like with him, because of his age, you know, he's going to have to probably, you know, live in that three year with a fourth year option type deal, because that'll put him at what, 35, Mm -hmm. 36 years old. And we've seen Russell Wilson, who is what, 33, 34 today, I think isn't his birthday real soon. Yeah. So look, so look at that. And you see the, his drop off in play, uh, whether you want to say it's, it's because of him or because of his system, there's still a drop off. And so we, you know, you see Aaron Rodgers drop off happen at his age. So you really only have, unfortunate for Gino, he didn't do much for the, the bulk of his career because he was a backup. So you don't know how much he has beyond 35 and maybe he could have that Warren moon type career. Um, I say that reference because I saw the Seahawks are going to bring back those uniforms. So why not throw that in there? Yes, they so are. I say he has a, a nice run to where he can play until he's 40. Um, but right now you have to just kind of be realistic from a business pers- perspective. Like, okay. 35, 36, let's give that the window. So let's give him a three year deal with a fourth year option. Now, I'm pretty sure he could be happy with that. Uh, the money is going to be to whatever they work at, work it out. But the years are more important to me mm-hmm. because then you can still draft and develop somebody younger or you still have a younger guy behind him. And Drew Likas, you could still work with and he could be your new Gino when Gino moves on. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think they are still in the catbird seat and how they handle the situation. Yeah, it's kind of exciting to take that weight of getting the quarterback pick right in the draft. And because this very, you know, celebrated quarterback class we're seeing this year is, is not as, as good as we thought. And that happens, right? I mean, we, we knew that we see players all the time who are supposed to be God's gift to the planet that don't, you know, always translate well or don't play well, but it it does take that huge kind of weight off of there. But then there is the contract negotiations. And then there's the conversations that a lot of Seahawks fans are having that, well, other teams are going to want to go after Gino and then we're going to be, you know, stuck in this situation. And I just don't know if I get that feeling from him. He feels very at home in Seattle. Now, granted, money is money. Like we're not dumb, right? Like we get how that is. But at the same time, I don't know, maybe that's just my gut feeling that if Seattle 
gave him a decent con a contract that he's worthy of. You know, they didn't try and lowball him. They didn't try and do anything like that. I could see him staying in Seattle. And I think that that would be very good for the Seahawks. Yeah, you always want to go where you want it. That dates back to to college and yeah. dates back to relationships. Like, I want to go where I'm wanted, want to go where I'm uh, accepted. Mm-hmm. And I like the culture that I that I have right now in Seattle. They wanted me there. They've allowed me to play. I didn't have to look over my shoulder if I throw in complete pass and see Drew Locke warming up. Like, I think it's best for him just to stay where you are. And there are options in the draft. Honestly, think about it. There's a guy that I compared to Geno Smith that because unfortunately because of the injury may end up being a, a you know, a late day two, early day three guy in Hendon Hooker, who'll be 25 years old, coming off an ACL, kind of plays the game a lot, a lot like Geno. There's your young guy is about the same age as Drew Locke. So if you want to draft the guy, you don't have to take one early. I mean, hell, you guys moved on from a guy you took in third round, right? right. So the thing is, and I, just to just to say with the quarterback class, you always got to be careful of who's pushing the narrative of when the class isn't good. Because That's fair. when they say the class isn't good, the class looks a certain way. And the next year's class is always better because it looks a certain way. So <laughs> um, they fell victim to, we heard this in 2017 when it was Mahomes, Deshaun Watson and Deshaun Kaiser, they pushed up Mitch Trubisky and said, wait for next year because it's Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, like whatever. Like this year has mm-hmm. some good quarterbacks, but Seahawks still have good options because they, again, you can get a hidden hooker in, you know, uh, in round two or round three, but also still build the media with those two excellent first round picks. And that's true because then you don't have the pressure of, oh, well, you took him in the first round. You have to play him. Do you know what I mean? You don't have that pressure. If he doesn't work out, he doesn't work out. And he, it doesn't look any odder, you know, to to the fan bases who just get so obsessed with these first round picks. You know, they just get in such a tizzy about it. We're going to get to the draft here in a little bit, but I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Pete Carroll. So at the beginning, well, no, truly at the beginning of the offseason back in March when the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson, there was a loud cry from a good chunk of this fan base. Um, And it had been going on for a couple of years that Pete Carroll needed to be fired for this, that this was not um, this was a horrible mistake. And and this was just Pete, you know, trying to throw control around. We've heard now since that, of course, that's not the case. He fought to keep Russell Wilson for a long time um, and to keep him. I I believe John Snyder wanted to get you trade him a year or two ago. But Pete Carroll still gets a lot of flack from this fan base because he does like to run the ball a lot and, you know, balance. He's all about the balance of running the football and he's old. There's such an ageist thing when it comes to these, you know, these football coaches right now, you know, we want the 25 year old kid who's never, you know, even coached high school football. Why not? Come on in, whatever. But there's this experience level. How does, in, in your experience, how, how does the rest of the league outside of Seattle view Pete Carroll. I think, you know, I'm pretty sure that no one would argue that he's going to be a Hall of Fame coach, but is, do they view him as old and set in his ways? Or is that just a, you know, a fan base that gets irritated at him every once in a while? That's just a fan base thing. Yeah. That's a Twitter thing. That's a analytics crowd thing. That's a new age. Hipster <laughs> Don't get me started thing. on those analytics yeah. people. <laughs> so those, those are, you know, they want these guys that kind of look like them that, you know, that are, you know, that, that are not, your stereotypical football looking guy. Mm-hmm. And Pete Carroll is the, you know, he's the new Dick Clark. If you would have told me whatever age you threw off of Pete Carroll, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, I don't care. You could tell me he's 48. You could tell me he's 78. 
he looks the same every right. every year. Like he doesn't. And, and I think people need to also understand your football coach has to have the pulse of the team. It has to be your energy source. And Pete Carroll is that for Seattle. They play hard for Pete Carroll. They like see him jumping up and down. They see him just doing what he does, working the the six pack of gum that he has in his jaw. That all matters that he's a coach's coach and football guys love a guy like Pete Carroll. So, you know, that's just online talk when, you know, a play doesn't go their way, they upset. But Pete Carroll knows, and most good football coaches know this, the game is about possession. It's Mm -hmm. about um, situations. And if you control possessions and control situations, then you can then dictate outcomes. I know if I run the football, at some point your team will get tired of running, uh, stopping the run. I will take my timing shots deep down the field, or I can go up tempo. Now that you're tired because I ran the football, now you can't get pressure on the quarterback. Now you can't keep up with my receivers. And on defense, because you're behind, because we scored, you know, we got up quickly. Now we take away one aspect of your offense. You become one-dimensional. Now I can pin my ears back and get after you. It's like, it, it's a yin and yang thing with, with coaching football. It's never, you know, what a lot of people online want to make it out to be. And that's why a lot of these new age coaches tend to get their breaks beat in by uh, guys like Pete Carroll and a lot of these older school guys that just understand uh, game dynamics. You know, it's not about the whiteboard uh, and about the X's and O's you draw. It's about how you coach people, how you manage people, how you manage situations. And the younger guys really love him. I mean, they really do. Now, there was this whole thing when Michael Bennett left the team a few years back that he said, I got tired of hearing the same rah-rah stuff. Well, you know what? That rah-rah stuff works for most of the team. And and I get it. Michael Bennett's his own little duck, which is kind of fun. But, um, you know, he, to me, you know, Pete Carroll has a winning record. He's been in Seattle for 13 years. He has had the sustained success. Excuse me. That's hard to say together. Um, But I think that the frustration is... They want more. They want more. They want more. Well, what they want is Patrick Mahomes. Well, Patrick Mahomes has Andy Reid, who is not a young, new coach. He's an old seasoned coach who is fantastic. One of my favorite coaches in the league. So I, I, I always get confused. I always wonder what the outside view is because internally it gets a little much sometimes, but, but I think that we're lucky. I do think though, Emery, that we are getting toward the end of Pete Carroll. And so I want to know from you, would it be, better for to have a continuation of another Pete Carroll style coach for that team or should they look for something different I think based off how this roster is constructed right they're probably going to go with another Pete Carroll type it doesn't mean necessarily on the roster you know on the staff right now someone that understands people because it is a people's business in terms of coaching head coaching position that's why, you know, I tweeted out what I did yesterday about John Harbaugh and his patience. Like, you know, special teams coach, you understand you got to deal with everybody. And it's not about your plays or your your scheme or your your fourth down percentage or your red zone play calls. It's about how you can motivate the guys and keep it even level in any situation to where your team believes they have a great chance. So when I think that's the Seattle model, I think if you go back and look throughout their history, they've had success with coaches like that. Um, you go back mm-hmm. to, to Chuck Knox, you go back um, to uh, Flores, you know, you, you go back to, to to these coaches that they've had in their history that they've had success with. It's been those type of guys. And I think that's just the makeup of what this especially what this current team looks like and what mm-hmm. they have currently in the in the pipeline. You got to go with the, you know, 
you got to keep striking that oil in that same area. And I think that's where they'll look for once he uh, decides to hang him up. I agree. I agree. Especially if they continue to let him and John Snyder build the way they have been building. And they had a few off years. I mean, there was some drafts that were real iffy, but they really seem to have hit the jackpot lately. Um, I, before we move on, um, to the draft, I want to talk about our picks just a little bit. So, um, obviously the Seahawks have currently right now with their own record, they are 16th in for the draft next year, right now in the draft order, but thank you very much, Denver. So in the trade for Russell Wilson, Denver gave up, um, a first round pick, a couple of them, a couple second round picks. So what coming up in this 2023 draft right now, the Seattle Seahawks have the fourth overall pick from Denver. And then they will also have that same high pick in the second round from them. So remember we're getting two picks from them, which is very exciting to think you're going to have, you know, three or four picks in the, those pie in those first couple of uh, rounds is, is very exciting for Seattle. I want before we talk about what we do with those picks, I want to talk about them specifically. Obviously, Denver's season is not going the way they thought it would. Um, Russell Wilson is not playing um, well, just to be blunt. I watched the game yesterday uh, against Carolina, and I, honest to God, Emery, I, I just I couldn't even figure out who the dude on the field was. He just didn't even look like Russell Wilson anymore. I it was very confusing and a bit of a a tug for me because as much as I really want a high high draft pick out of that, I, it it made me feel bad a little bit. And, that's just because I'm a softie. But when you look at that, you have to look at John Snyder. John Snyder put that together. John Snyder has never been, you know, executive of the year, jam of the year, any of that. But with this, with this trade, it to me, it just shows the brilliance of his business side of football because this is not what Pete Carroll wanted. He had to do this without Pete Carroll. Is it surprising to you? Um, and that's just my little plug for John Snyder anyway, but <laughs> I, but is it surprising to you what has happened in Denver? And at the end of the season, is it Hackett then that gets the hack job? That's a terrible pun. Oh my God. I, <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. I, it, they're just going to have, in my opinion, I think they're just gonna have to rebuild this team. Just your quick thoughts. It's nothing in depth. I just was curious because I know Seahawks fans get a little tired about talking about Russell. No, no, no. It's it's fascinating that they, they put themselves in this position because now think about when everyone loves to give credit to the Legion of Boom or mm-hmm. the defense more so than Russell Wilson's being there for the reason why they got to the Super Bowl and ultimately won a Super Bowl. Um, but now you have a chance with this draft to recreate that because you pick high enough to get legitimate impact defensive players. Think about the, the 2012 draft. Uh, mm-hmm. You get to now find another Bruce Irvin and a Will Anderson. If it goes quarterback, quarterback, and whatever, and you guys still hold that fourth pick, or if you move up, if Denver continues to lose, now you get to grab a Will mm-hmm. Anderson who can be the new age, uh, improved version of Bruce Irvin. Right. Or you wait to the middle parts of the first round, and, man, we need someone that could, not saying he's a one-to-one Earl Thomas, but you get someone uh, like Brian Branch out of Alabama, who can play safety, but a, is a fantastic nickel defender as well. So now you have Diggs and you have Branch. That way you don't have to find yourself depending on whether or not Jamal Adams can stay healthy for a full 17-game season. You have someone that can be a move piece on defense that can match up, and you've aced it in the first round. Or you want to double down on 
point of attack, but we brought up his name last time we was on on this uh, show. Brian Brissy out of Clemson helped mm-hmm. you now strengthen that point of attack, especially coming off what we saw yesterday with the amount of rushing yards they gave up. They couldn't hold the point. So I think this is a great opportunity now for mm-hmm. Seattle to hit, to, to not to hit reset, but just to enhance a defense that had some, some bright spots this year. But, man, you get to get two impact defenders in a draft that has some quality quarterback options, at least three to four, in my opinion, that, mm. that are first-round guys. And, you know, now you get to really – that falls your way. You could get two elite defenders that can help this defense as you continue to build uh, what you did last year in the draft on an offensive line and also at receiver. And so in, in the backfield – the team seems to be trending in the right direction. So what we see now, they're a year ahead of what we expected to see. But next year, when you get this team to add two elite defenders that can get to the quarterback, stop the run, uh, you know, this is going to be even better. It it cracks me up a little bit. I'm not going to lie that (laughs) our defense is going to get bolstered because Russell Wilson, (laughs) because there was always that push pull between them. And yeah, that, that actually. (laughs) The irony, right? (laughs) It is a little ironic. It is. You look at it though, right now, currently the Houston Texans um, have the first pick because they are one and nine and one. Then they have the Bears and the Lions um, from the Rams, which also the Rams gave up all those first round picks and, and that has not worked out well for them. Worked out great for the Lions this year. Um, then you have Seattle, then you have Pittsburgh. So if you look at just even those top five, to be honest with you, really it's the Texans and the Steelers that need the quarterback, um, the Steelers that that could be argued a little bit because they just got a quarterback last year. Um, but the bears don't. So there's a lot of talk about Anderson. There's a lot of talk about him and I don't know that he will be there. I think Chicago might, I don't know. Do you think that even sitting at the fourth pick, because I don't know if the Ram or the lions are definitely going to need a quarterback without question, but I don't know. I, I worry that that top guy is not going to be there. And that's because I get my heart set on players and then they're gone and I get really worked up about it. But <laughs> so do you think, I mean, do you think that he would be a player? I mean, how could the bears pass that up? Well, they, they could, but here's, here's the thing. And because of, uh, it's all about like real estate, it's about location, right? Right. Um, you got the, you said the, the Texans clearly insert whatever quarterback they're going Anything. there. Cause they're, right. Cause they, they need help there. Boom. Then you have the bears lions and you guys. So, the Bears could take Will Anderson. They could also take Jalen Carter, the outstanding defensive lineman from Georgia. So it, whoever they don't take, boom, it's an impact Seattle. player for, you know, Seattle. Detroit could be the wild card um, because they could, because I think they have two first-round picks as well. They mm-hmm. could bypass quarterback right now and double down and get a guy that I think would be perfect for them uh, within their scheme uh, later on in the first round. Or they could just say, you know what? I don't trust anybody moving up to get our guy. I'm going to take the quarterback now um, because they also need a quarterback, but they could also take Jalen Carter and or Will Anderson. So I think uh, you don't have to worry about Houston. It's mm-hmm. Chicago. You re- really have to worry about Detroit because Chicago is going to take one of these defenders because uh, there's no wide receiver that is high enough that says, okay, yeah, there's no Keyshawn Johnson. There's no Calvin Johnson. There's no, none of those type guys like Fitzgerald, Randy Moss that you say, hey, he's a top five pick. So they probably are going to go O-line or D-line um, or point of attack, front seven. So Detroit is the wild card. They took Aiden Hutchinson last year. 
they could double down and go with another interior defensive lineman. Carter could be that guy, or they could you know, book in him with Will Anderson if Chicago takes Carter. So I think Detroit is the one you got to watch out for at pick four. Or if Detroit keeps winning, it takes Detroit out of the equation and pushes D- uh, Denver up ahead of Detroit. Oh, that makes me excited. And I don't usually get too excited about the draft. You know, college ball, I, I watch my Montana State and then I watch, you know, a few others. But but this this year, I mean, there's a lot. Plus, it's here in Kansas City this year. So it's going to be a lot. Oh, that's right. I now I have to get make my way to Kansas City. Yeah, for come on. We'll get some barbecue. But for Love sure. it. <laughs> so I want to talk about the rookies they took last year. Um, just to kind of to wrap up our show, there was a lot of conversation at the beginning of the season about these rookies and how well they played out the gate. Like they were just amazing. And they have had Tariq, we've had Tariq Woolen, Abe Lucas, you know, Cross, we have Kenneth Walker. The interesting thing is as we've kind of settled into the season, you know, that maybe we're not so surprised by their good play anymore. Um, but there was a lot of conversation about one of possibly one of the Seahawks rookies ending up with rookie of the year. But then you have Sauce Gardner who is just like sitting there in New York, just shining on top of the mountain like everyone. But what do you think about these rookies? Do, uh, could they be possibly in that conversation? Because they're constantly mentioned in the top 10 rookies of the year. It's, it's tough because you have a guy in his class as balling in one of the, in the biggest market. So yep. that's going it, to, it's a done deal. You know, it, it's a wrap on that because <laughs> anytime New York and they're winning, it's over. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like it's good that they have a great weird how things parallel. Ten years <laughs> later, the 2022 class looks like the 2012 class and the impact right. that they got, right? So um, true. So I feel like this is a, a fantastic class because you answered two questions up front, Lucas and also um, the kid from Mississippi State. Cross. Mm-hmm. Cross. You got those two. You got a good special team and Derek Young in the seventh round. Um, physical receiver that you know is going to grow into a, a specific role. Defense, you got Kobe Bryant, and you also were able to get Tariq Woolen. So you've done a really good job in getting some core pieces to the foundation that you're building upon. It, it, you know, and the, the cool part is, is that these guys are, are talented, but they still have more room to grow. Mm-hmm. Like they they weren't um, super finished products coming out the gate. You know, maybe Kobe Bryant was because he was a you know senior as well as uh, Lucas. But, I mean, uh, Cross was an underclassman. And then you look at Young coming from a D2 program, and he still has room to get better because of the, the jump in competition. And so, for me, I just feel like this was impressive. And Woolen, yeah, yeah, he was a senior, but you talk about someone that's only been playing cornerback for two, two, three years or something like that. So, you have upside still with a lot of these talented prospects. So, I'm excited for Seattle and what they could potentially do um, next year, adding more talent. Coming off this draft class at, at nailing the tackle positions, uh, when we know a lot of teams struggle with that, nailing corner, where we know a lot of teams struggle with that, and finding guys that can help continue to bolster your special teams unit, because that's also a hallmark of Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are they usually always have a great returner, or coverage units are outstanding, and kicking game was always outstanding. So I think because Pete Carroll understands the team aspect, they're not heavy-handed on one side of the, of the ball. And, either, and Snyder understands that as well. Hey, we're not going to get heavy-handed on one side. We got to balance this thing out. And I thought they did a great job of that with the 2022 class. I'm so glad you said it because I was going to say it. You know, it's like, this is done. And people keep talking about it. I'm like, you guys don't understand. Soft Gardner's at a, he's just in a different spot. And so I'm so glad you put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't if, have to. If, if it was, if, I mean, if homeboy wasn't injured, 
it it really just yeah. it would have just been one and two. It would have been Sauce Gardner and Kayvon Thibodeau, right? Because Giants are winning, Jets are winning, and yep. two start is. And they're New York markets. Yeah, there's you can't argue with that. You can't fight with that for sure. So agreed. Oh, Emery, I love it when you come on. We have such a good time. And I I love your insight on on all of this so much. I want everyone to know a couple of things about Emery. First of all, you can always find him at his website, um, which is um, Football Game Plan. And then uh, you can find him on Twitter. It's FB or F Ball Game Plan. But he's also on CBS Sports HQ. And then my favorite thing, other than you coming and hanging out with me, is your draft preview that you so nicely gave to us last year. And it is this big, beautiful book full of all the information about all the players. I highly recommend. Can they pre-order it yet? Yes, they can. Footballgameplan.com slash 2023 draft guide. It, again, you know this, Dan. It was last year was the largest draft guide. Oh, my gosh. It was huge. A thousand over a thousand prospects. It may be that this year. To know how many guys you know come you know take advantage of the COVID year and come out or go back, uh, but we've already been working. We I've been working on it already, so it should be yeah. action packed once again. Oh, I loved it. It was so helpful for me during the draft because you could be like, I haven't even heard of this little school player, but there he is in in full color in your draft guide. So I really hope that people take advantage of that. All right, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time. It's, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And I hope everyone joins us again next week. We will be back again here on the Field Goals Podcast. Bye-bye, everybody.